The best time to prepare for temptation is before you're feeling the heat and pressure of it. Today, we'll be focusing on three things that will help you handle and overcome temptation. This message is the third in the series, Real Deal Faith. The message is entitled, Tackling Temptation. Here is Pastor Dalo Shields. Welcome this weekend to Church of the Redeemer. We're so glad that you're here to study God's Word. I want us to give a good welcome to all of our campuses, the folks in Gaithersburg and Clarksburg and Frederick, universities at Shady Grove, our chapel service. Welcome to everyone. Why don't we give everyone a good round of applause as we get ready to study God's Word together this weekend. Uh, Grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets. We're going to continue our series together entitled Real Deal Faith. I want to talk about a very important uh, topic this weekend. I want to talk to us about tackling something that everybody faces in life. We're going to talk about tackling temptation. Now, we're in this study uh, from the book of James, the New Testament book of James, and James was written, certainly inspired by the Holy Spirit, through the human agent of a man by the name of James, who was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. So he was a man that loved the Lord Jesus and had an understanding of how Christianity, how living a Christ-like life really works inside of believers, how we can have a real deal faith. And he talks about lots of different topics, and we're doing a topical study of the book of James, not just expositional, going through each verse, verse by by verse, but taking a look at some of the main themes and some of the main topics throughout the book. And one of those themes really is the theme of temptation. So I'd like to draw your attention today to James chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. I want to read these verses from the New Living Translation, and listen as I read, and let's dive into today's message about handling or tackling, overcoming, dealing with temptation the right way. James 1, beginning in verse number 12, again, New Living Translation. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. And remember, notice that, remember, something you need to recall. Remember when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and He never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. Then desires give birth to sin or sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Notice verse 16, so don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Verse 14 again says that temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. And it gives birth to sin, sinful actions. Sin is conceived or allowed to grow and it gives birth to death. What I want to talk to you about this weekend, all of our campuses, and I want you to listen very closely because this could be a message that actually uh, changes your life and not not only changes your life, but actually uh, protects your life from some things in the days to come. So I'm going to share with you three things that you need to understand about temptation from a biblical perspective and from some of what James is trying to teach us here in God's Word in this letter that he sent to the churches. He says, know your risk. He's teaching us, number one, to know your risk. James writes about temptation because he he understands it's something that's very real. It was very real back in the first century church. It's been very real throughout all the centuries of believers, throughout all the ages, humanity throughout all the ages, and it's something that is very real today. We face a very real risk of temptation in our lives, and temptation is not something that you can ignore, and when you ignore it, actually, you think it's not going to happen to you, that's actually when you're most vulnerable to it. 
The Apostle Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, a good warning for us. He says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. As soon as you feel confident as though temptation cannot touch you, that's when you are again most vulnerable. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Ephesians 5 verse 15, again we find this, this very important warning from Paul. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise. Notice that phrase or several phrases or words there, careful, be careful how you live. Don't live as an unwise or another translation would say as a foolish person, but live wisely. Now wise people realize something. Wise people realize, always realize that falling is a possibility, spiritually and actually otherwise. Uh, perhaps if you think about uh, some of the times we've had in, in winter seasons and where there's a thin coat of ice over the ground or over the, over the parking lot, you can't really see that ice, but you're aware that it's there. And so when you get out of your car, you've learned to step gingerly and be careful of the fact that you need to get a sure footing so that you will not slip and you will not fall. Well, that's probably a good analogy for the way that we go through life, to realize that we are, we are living in a world that can very easy, easily cause us to fall. And so we're to live carefully and wisely. Take each step with careful thought. Be aware of living wisely. And no matter how long you've been a Christian believer, uh, or whether you're just new in the faith, maybe some of you have just recently come to faith in Jesus Christ, or maybe you've been walking with Jesus for 50 or 60 years, it really doesn't matter. You are still at risk. Jesus himself, after spending three, three and a half years with his disciples, uh, practically every day with them, teaching them his word, still had to warn them of the importance of realizing that temptation was always lurking around them. Matthew 26, 41, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to go through a temptation himself. Jesus was not beyond temptation. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way just like we are, with one major exception. He never sinned. That's Hebrews chapter 4. And so Jesus understands temptation, and he warned his disciples about it, just like he's warning you and me. I'm going to ask you to read this together with me, aloud and loudly. Matthew 26, verse 41, from all of our campuses. Let's read enthusiastically this very important statement from Jesus. Let's go. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Notice this. Read with me. The spirit is willing. Say it with me. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, that is not an excuse for us to fall into sin. It is a warning. Jesus is reminding us there's something inside of you as a believer in Jesus Christ that wants to do the right thing. The Spirit is willing. Your inner man as a believer in Jesus wants to do what is right, but the reality is there's also a flesh that we have. There's this, these things, these, these feelings, these tugs, these desires that we have inside of us, and in that realm we are weak. Therefore, we are to watch and pray. In the Old Testament, we find in Genesis chapter 4 a great uh, imagery. I'm going to help you to see this imagery that actually uh, God spoke to Cain as he was dealing with the temptation of jealousy toward his brother Abel, and ultimately that jealousy led him to murder. And God is warning him uh, before he does this, this terrible act of killing his brother because things are going are already uh, generating inside of Cain at this time. He's feeling the urge to do the wrong thing, and God comes on the scene and speaks a warning to him. 
He says, God says to Cain, if you do what is right, you will not be, will you not be accepted? So if you do the right thing, God says, I'm going to accept you. But if you do not do what is right, that if you give in to these, these desires, this anger that you have toward your brother, if you do not do what is right, notice this phrase, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Would you circle on your notes that phrase, sin is crouching at your door? That's a great analogy. It's a great imagery for you to carry around with you every day of your life to realize, you know what, in every situation that I'm in, there's an enemy that is crouching. There's an enemy that is, that is lurking about me, and that enemy wants to pull me in the wrong direction. It's crouching at the door. It's a reality that we live in as Christian believers. You need to know your risk. Dear one, understand something. You will never, ever mature beyond temptation. As long as you live here on planet Earth, before you go to heaven, you're going to face some kind of pressure of temptation in your life. And as soon as you think you're not at risk, that's when you're at most risk. So know that you are, I am, we are all at risk of falling prey to this thing. That's why God warns us over and over again. The second thing I want to share with you about temptation that we learned from, from James, we're going to dive into verses 14 and 15 in just a moment, but James teaches us to also pay attention to what I would call the approach of temptation, how it approaches you. In any situation of life where there's something that's trying to get your attention or trying to sell you something or draw you into a particular decision, there is an approach. Salespeople have an approach uh, to the selling of their product. Uh, there's, there's an approach to communication. There's, there, there's always a way in which you address things to try to bring about the desired result. And here we see James describing for us what we might call the approach, the manner in which the method in which the enemy comes against us with temptation. How do we find ourselves falling prey to it? There's an approach. Now look at verses 14 and 15 of James chapter 1. Let me read this for you and just look at your notes there. Pay attention to these words and and circle some for me uh, as we go through that will help you to get the highlight of these two verses. Temptation comes, notice this, from our own desires. That's our fleshly desires, our desires that are contrary to what God wants. Temptation comes from our own desires, which, circle the phrase, entice us and then drag us away. So there's an enticement, and from this, in, this enticement, there's a dragging away. And then he goes on to say, as we read a moment ago in verse 15, these desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, that is when it grows up, sin always gives birth to death. So there is a, an approach that sin has. Let me share with you what I believe are seven stages or seven steps, we might say, to the, to the, temp, to, to the approach of temptation. How does temptation show up in your life? And as, as I've said before, uh, the devil never comes along in your life and shows you who he is. He never comes along and says, hi, I'm the devil and I'm here to destroy your life. He doesn't do that. He comes in very unique ways to try to trap us in ways that we would not even recognize. So we must be wise and recognize what his approach is. So let me share with you seven things, seven words or phrases that will help you to realize how temptation works uh, in our world and how temptation works against you. First of all, you must understand that temptation at its very nature, even though it's coming from our evil desires, our sinful nature, there's a diabolical source driving it, and that is Satan himself. So temptation is satanic. 
going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, we see that when uh, Adam and Eve were tempted to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that came from the serpent. Temptation always rises from, is initiated by our adversary, the devil. There is a real devil and demonic forces that are seeking to trap us. So it's satanic. Uh, in fact, Jesus uh, tells us about this in John chapter 10, verse 10. He tells us the agenda, the plan that Satan has for our lives uh, that he's after through tempting us. John 10, verse 10, the thief, that is the devil, he's known as the thief. He comes to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. I don't think there could be a clear uh, description of what Satan wants to do in your life. Very clearly, Jesus said it himself. Satan comes along to trap you, to trick you, to pull you into sin so that he can steal from you, he can kill things in you, and actually destroy you. How many people in their lives, when they yielded to some temptation in life, found themselves having things stolen from them? Their family was stolen from them. Uh, uh, opportunities and possibilities of life were stolen from them. Things were killed. Dreams were killed in them. And, and things were destroyed around them because they said yes to something the adversary was trying to attract them to do instead of saying no. Instead of saying, Jesus, I'm following you and finding the fulfillment and abundant life that only Jesus can bring. So remember, always remember that temptation is satanic in its origin. Number two, it is subtle. Temptation is hard to notice. I alluded to this a moment ago. The devil never shows up in your life and announces that he's there to destroy your life. He comes in very subtle ways. Temptation is not always obvious. It's very clever. It's very crafty. It's not easily perceived. It is tricky. This is seen, as I mentioned just a moment ago, about Adam and Eve as well. Genesis chapter 3, the Bible very clearly describes for us this tricky nature, this crafty or subtle nature of the serpent or of Satan in temptation. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 1. Let's read from the Living Bible. Why don't we all read this again together as we declare God's Word. Again, every, all, everyone in all of our campuses, let's read. Here we go. The serpent was the craftiest or the most subtle one translation says, or the most tricky, the serpent, here we go, the serpent was the craftiest of all of the creatures the Lord God had made. So the serpent came to the woman. Really? He asked. None of the fruit in the garden? God says you mustn't eat of any of it? Do you see how Satan comes along in this crafty way and tries to make what God wants you to do look irrational and ridiculous? And that's exactly how temptation works, very subtle. The enemy tries to turn around the very thing that is for your good and make doing what is good seem ridiculous. And that's what he's doing here with Eve. He's trying to trick her in a very subtle way. And unfortunately, he was successful in his approach. And oftentimes, unfortunately, he is successful with us. So let's remember there's a subtlety to the attack or the approach of the adversary. The third thing that you'll understand about Satan's approach is it's always deceptively sensible. Deceptively, deceptively sens sensible. This is uh, phenomenal as well in terms of how temptation works because temptation to do something wrong always in the moment makes sense to you. Well, it seems like the right thing to do. Never seems like it's a foolish thing to do. In fact, 
often temptation will convince you that what you're about to do is not only fun, but it actually makes sense to do it. Oh yeah, this would be a great thing to do. That's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. Here is uh, here's Adam and Eve. God told them, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan comes along and says, why would God say something like that? You mean you can't really eat of any tree? This tree's not going to really destroy you. It makes sense. Look at the fruit. It's beautiful. It would be good for you. And so now Adam and Eve actually portray, partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thinking that it makes sense to do so. And oftentimes, maybe that's what's happened to you. You're, you made a bad decision, but in the moment, what turned out to be a horrible decision for your life actually made sense to you in the moment. And it was, again, the subtlety, the deception of the adversary. And oftentimes, we, in the midst of that moment of temptation, we will rationalize and justify our bad choices uh, out of this deception that comes our way. The fourth thing about the approach of temptation is that it is always sensual. Now, let me say something about the word sensual. As soon as you hear the word sensual, most people will think uh, of, the, of the sexual connotations of that. And certainly, there's a dimension of that that is represented in Scripture that we must understand and avoid and be aware of. We'll read some verses about that in a moment. But sensuality is more than, than, than related to human sexuality. Sensuality is the tug on your senses. It's the tug on your emotions. It's the tug on your feelings. And what happens with temptation is that temptation, while it deceives you in your mind, it also tugs on your emotions. It says, you know, this would really feel good. And you deserve to feel good. You deserve to have really good feelings. And all of your senses, in fact, in the presence of temptation, often will come alive. And what happens is that your feelings take over. Your emotions take over. And then there is the bypassing of wise judgment. And you end up, again, making decisions that are foolish and ridiculous and painful in your life. I cannot tell you the number of people over the years that have described for me how they fell prey to something in their life because they just did not deal well with the emotions of the moment. They felt this will be really good. It will feel good. I want to do this. It must be right because it feels so good. Dear one, remember something. Just because something feels right doesn't make it right. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Just because something feels good to you doesn't mean that it's right. Temptation is sensual. It draws on your senses and on your emotions. Number five, we're looking at seven things that represent the approach of temptation in your life. The fifth thing is that it's always strong. There's a strong pull to do something. A strong pull to do something that is contrary to God's word and contrary to God's will and contrary to God's way. By the way, that's exactly what sin is. Sin is anything that is contrary to God's word, God's will, and God's ways. If it's contrary to God's nature and what God has revealed by His Word, then it's the wrong thing for you to do. But sin or temptation comes along and has this strong pull, so strong that it sometimes feels like you can't escape it. It feels so strong that you, you just have to do this thing. It's always urgent. You've got to do it, and you've got to do it now, and it's also very forceful. So be aware of the reality that when temptation comes, it's going to come with force. It's not going to be just an easy thing always to push away, but there's a strength to it that you need to be aware of and prepared for. And in a moment, I'll talk to you about how to get prepared for it. Number six, the sixth one might be an interesting word for you, uh, but it really does describe temptation. I'm going to give you the word and then help you to understand what I mean by it. It's also slick. Yes, slick. Temptation is always slick. 
What I mean by that is this. Temptation is a slippery slope. When you step into temptation, what happens is one sin always leads to another sin and another sin and another sin and another sin. For example, take a look at David and his life. David, actually, as he went up on the rooftop in that horrible event that happened called his sin with Bathsheba in 2 Chronicles chapter 11, he goes in, or excuse me, 2 Samuel chapter 11, he, he finds himself in this situation where he yields to temptation, and when he yields to temptation, what happens is this, there is this next move where now Bathsheba, as David commits adultery with Bathsheba and she becomes pregnant, now David's got a problem on his hands. And now he adds to his adultery, that sin, he begins to add to it lying. And then from lying, in, in eventually adds to it actually murder, setting up Bathsheba's husband for his demise, for his, him being killed on the battlefield. And so do you see that there's a slippery slope? When you step on the pathway of temptation, you're going to slide down. And I will tell you that temptation is smooth. It is slick. It's like a greased, slick floor. The first step that you take is usually all that... The that is necessary to actually get you. Take the first step and whoop, down you go. And that's why we must understand that first step is very important to avoid not stepping into the trap of temptation. The seventh thing you understand or need to understand about temptation is always strategic. Satan knows your weakest points in your life. He knows the weak places in you. And his tactic against you is always strategic. See, he is a strategist. Why? Because we're, we're in battle here, and all good warriors, all good leaders of battles have strategy. They don't just go out and say, just shoot anywhere. No, they, they understand the most strategic uh, addresses, the most strategic places to attack, the most strategic targets. And so they understand this kind of stuff. Great military leaders understand this. Satan is, is a, a military leader, if you will, in the sense of the spiritual battle that we engage in, and he knows the strategic places to attack you in your life. He knows how to come against you in such a way that within a matter of a few moves, he has checkmate. Not just check, but checkmate. He strategizes in your life for your weak points. So pay attention, pay close attention to temptation's approach. The third and final lesson for us this weekend, uh, and probably the most important lesson of all that I'm sharing for us this weekend and everything that I've said to this point really brings us to a platform for what I'm about to talk about in the next few moments as we wrap up together is the importance of preparing in advance for the battle you're going to encounter as a believer and the battle you do encounter as a Christian every day in your life. When is the best time to get ready for a battle? It's always before the battle. You can't get ready for a battle uh, while you're in the battle. And the best time to get ready for temptation is not while you're in the heat and pressure of temptation, but it's actually before temptation is bearing down upon you in some particular set of circumstances or with some event in your life. And so you get ready beforehand. You live prepared. You learn how to live in a prepared manner. And although temptation is satanic, it's subtle, it's, it's deceptively sensible, it's, it's sensual, it's strong, it's strategic, it's slick, these kind of things are there. Yes, all those things are very, very true. Here's the promise for you. Understand that you can be prepared for it when it comes. And here's the good news. You can tackle it. You can overcome 
coming. I think we ought to all say hallelujah about that. Are you glad that God gives you the ability and the strength by His Spirit and the tools and the weapons necessary to overcome temptation? That ought to make you rejoice on the inside. Now, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. I want to lay out for you this promise of being able to overcome temptation. And we'll also go back to James in just a moment. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation, that's an enticement to sin, an enticement to do what is against God's word, God's will, God's ways. No temptation has overtaken you or come against you except what is common to mankind. That means that everybody experiences these. So if you're, you're going through temptation, it's not unusual. Everybody faces them. And God is faithful. Here's the good news. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So never think, oh, this temptation is too much for me. No, the promise of God's Word says, no, there's no temptation that will ever be too much for you to bear. He goes on to say, but when you're tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God says, I will never let temptation get so strong in your life that you cannot overcome it. And by the way, God says, in every situation where temptation comes knocking on your door, when temptation comes laying a trap for you and trying to lure you into its grips, understand something, there is always, I promise you, God says, I will always give you a way out. The way out, the word there in the Greek language is the word that we get, the, the basic word where we find our English word exodus. There's an exiting strategy, if you will. In every temptation, God has an exit door. Now, whatever campus you're in today, I want you to look around the worship center just for a moment that you're in. I want you to notice that in every worship center where we are, uh, there's something called exit signs. You see them, right? And the reason those exit signs are there, obviously, is so that if there's a situation that requires us to have to leave quickly, uh, some kind of emergency that happens, easily we can look around the worship center, the venue that we might be in, and say, oh, that's the way out. I can get out. I can find safety that way. I don't have to stay in an environment that might be dangerous to me. And so uh, we're required by law, and of course we would want to do so anyway, that we have these signs that give people an understanding of the way out. Well, God says, I promise you that in any temptation you're going through, if you'll look around, you'll see that I've given you a way out. And sometimes the way out is simply saying no. Sometimes the way out is running away from something and say, you know what, I'm not going to stay in this environment right now. But there's always a way out for you. There is an exit sign and an exit strategy in the face of the strength of temptation coming against you in any set of circumstances. James 1 verse 12 again gives us this promise of overcoming temptation. God blesses those who patiently endure, that is, make it through, survive. Another way of saying thrive is another word we could use there. Get beyond it. Those who patiently endure testing and temptation afterward, that is, after they have escaped from it, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. So there is a way out. Say it with me. There is a way out of temptation. Come on, let's everybody say it together. There is a way out of, in every temptation, there is a way out. There's an exodus. There's an exit sign. You have to look for it and you have to use it. Now, I want to help describe for you some of the exit signs that will help you to get out of temptation when you're facing and feeling it in your life and how to actually prepare for temptation before you're actually in the battle itself. So let me quickly share it with 
with you five things that can help you tackle temptation and overcome it. Five things that will help you to be prepared for the battle as we're wrapping up together. Number one, you need to be a person who is a prayer. You need to pray. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 13, in this great prayer that he taught all of us to pray called the Lord's Prayer, he included as a part of it this verse, verse 13, and lead us not, Father God, Heavenly Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I want to encourage you to pray that prayer every day of your life and pray that prayer throughout your day. God, I'm praying today you will keep me away from temptation. Don't let me fall into something that would be uh, detrimental to my spiritual life. I pray that my spiritual eyes would be open and my spiritual ears would be clear so that I will not enter into unnecessary temptations. Lead me not into temptation. Number two, know your vulnerabilities. Where are you most vulnerable? If you know your weakness, knowing your weakness actually helps you to be protected against your weakness. It's one of the worst things that can happen in your life in any realm is not know where you're weak because if you don't know where you're weak, you'll never be able to bring the reinforcements for strengthening areas of vulnerability. So where are you most weak? I don't know where your weakness might be. Everybody has certain moral weaknesses and certain tendencies that we all have. They come in different forms. We all have different elements of battles that we uniquely have to struggle with. And yes, there's struggles, and sometimes there's similarities among believers of things that we all struggle with. But the issue is, do you know where you're most vulnerable? Are you aware of the places where you need to shore up your life most significantly? 2 Corinthians 11, verse 30 said, If I must boast, Paul says, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Why would Paul say, I will boast of the things that will show my weakness? He's talking about the fact that he knows that when he is most weak, out of his weakness, that's where he leans into God for strength to handle them, that enable him to get beyond them and to overcome them. And so, in our weakness, he is made strong. Let the weak say, I am strong. You cannot claim the strength of God in your your weakness if you don't know where you're weak. You have to know your vulnerabilities. Number three, star this one, highlight this one, just uh, memorize this one, get this one deeply into your system. It's one of the most important things you'll learn about temptation. Stay away from the wrong people and the wrong places. I'm not just talking today to young people, although I am talking to young people. And all the young people listening, I pray that you will make wise choices about friends. Apart from Making a choice to give your life to Jesus and the choice you will make about uh, the, the spouse of your life, I promise you there's nothing more important than the choices you will make about your friends, who you hang around with. But it's not just true for young people. It's true for us as adults as well. You can be uh, 30 years old and 40 years old and 50 and 60 years old and still be around the wrong people. So you have to be careful that you're staying, around, uh, staying away from people that can lead you down a pathway uh, of sin. 1 Corinthians 15, and 34 says, Do not be misled. Now, what does it mean to be misled? It means that you're being led somewhere by something or someone that you shouldn't go. So don't be misled. Don't let somebody lead you somewhere where you shouldn't be going, okay? Don't be misled. And here's the key statement. Bad company, that is the people you hang around, hanging around bad people, corrupts good character. So if, you're, if you want to be corrupted, just hang around with people who are corrupted. Because if they're corrupted, so you will be corrupted as well. If you want good in your life, hang around with people that emanate goodness and righteousness in the way they live. So he says, bad company corrupts good character. Verse 34, come back to your senses 
as you ought and stop sinning for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. The fourth thing that will help you uh, to prepare against temptation and to be prepared for the battle ahead of time is to protect your soul from the sources of temptation. There are various sources. The way, um, the way temptation gets into our lives are through what we might call uh, moral gates or spiritual gates or the gates of our soul. See, the enemy wants to get inside of us, into our hearts and minds, because if he can affect or infect uh, your heart and mind, out of your heart and mind, everything else flows. The Bible says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Your thoughts control your life. And so the enemy wants to find a way into your thinking so he can affect your emotions and your decisions. Hear that again. The enemy wants to get into your thinking so that he can affect your emotions and your, your decisions. If he can affect the way you think, your values, your priorities, your thought processes, he can begin to lead you down the wrong path. That's why you have to protect your soul from sources that would lead to temptation in your life. Now, the primary gates that the adversary uses are your eyes, what you look at, and what your ears, what you hear, okay? Those are the two primary things. And also your touch, what you feel, because all of those uh, create or include or or cause there to be some responsiveness of the body of the flesh. And the Bible says the flesh is weak. And so if there's something that can happen through the lust of the eyes, the lust of flesh of the flesh that comes through your eyes or through what you hear or through what you touch, then out of that there's a response in your body of fleshliness that can attract you to the wrong thing. And so there has to be a guarding of what you watch, what you see, what you listen to and what you engage yourself with physically and in terms of entertainment and those kinds of things. Now, please note something. I'm not in any way uh, a prude. I'm not in any way kind of person that says, you know, that, that, that tries to create a, a bunch of rules and regulations about how you follow Christ. But I'm telling you, there's some stuff that's just not good for you to watch. There's some television programs that would be, be the best thing to do is just turn them off. There's some movies that you could go to and, and maybe justify going to that actually if you look at them the right way and understand what's going on and the theme that's there, you would say, you know, as a Christian, I don't need that influence inside of me. Again, I'm not here to give you some kind of long list of religious rules and regulations. I'm, I'm appealing to your heart. I'm talking to you about making some wise decisions so that your life doesn't get messed up. There's certain kind of music that you shouldn't listen to. There's certain musics and music uh, expressions in our world today that, 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 are, that have denigrating dimensions to them, that have filthy dimensions to them, that have pornographic dimensions to them, as well as movies and television shows and, and, and uh, sites on the Internet that you can visit that have all those sensual appeals. Again, not just the sensual from the sexual, although that's there, but sensual in, in a variety of realms. And so the enemy is using these things to try to get into your life. Why? Because if he can get into you through your eyes and through your ears and through your touching, if you what you're feeling with your life, there's a spark that he can pull out of your flesh that is weak. Now notice Romans 13, 13 and 14. Here's how you protect your soul. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. You know, there are things that you, some folks will do at night, they'll never do in the daytime. 
He says, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about, don't entertain, don't open the door, don't think about how to gratify the desires of your flesh. You know, some folks uh, try to get as close as they can possibly get to sin without sinning. Now, wouldn't it be foolish for me as I'm standing on the edge of this platform to try to just preach and teach from the edge of this platform for the entire message, just trying to see as close as I could get to the edge of this platform without falling? And that's the way a lot of Christians live. They get as close to the world as they can get, as close to sin as they can get without, if you will, falling. But I promise you, at some point in time, if you get close, you hang out close to the edge, the edge is going to get you. And that's why the scripture says here in Romans chapter 13 that we are to put on Jesus Christ and not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Don't live close to the edge. Live as close as you can to Jesus. Final thing today, very important thing as well as we prepare ourselves against temptation is never lose sight of sin's consequences. Never lose sight of sin's consequences. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is, say it with me, death. That's separation from God. When you and I sin, it creates a wall between us and God. There's a separation. Now, the ultimate separation is for eternity. But that's not the only separation. Sometimes in life, as you sin, when you sin, not sometimes, but every time you sin, you break fellowship with God. Now, that fellowship beautifully can be restored by the blood of Jesus Christ and the opportunity we have for forgiveness. As the Scripture says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But there is a death. There is a breaking of our fellowship with God. And then ultimately, if we live our whole lives as sinners rejecting Jesus Christ and refusing to follow Him and serve Him, There is an eternal dimension to this as well. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. James said the very same thing. James 1 verse 15. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Before you do anything... As temptation is pulling on you and appealing to your senses and trying to make this sensible appeal to you that this would be good for you and this would be a good thing for you to do. Before you step into the trap, step back and be reminded of where the trap leads. It leads to death. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said, I came so you might have life. Make yourself aware. Focus on the consequences of doing the wrong thing and the consequences of doing the right thing. I promise you, anytime you weigh the consequences of doing the wrong thing against the consequences of doing the right thing, doing the right thing always wins. James teaches us what we're calling real deal faith. And real deal faith is in the nitty-gritty of everyday life. It involves learning how to handle, how to tackle temptation when it comes your way. I want to pray for you and pray this. We've been studying God's Word today that this Word would settle deeply in your heart and that you would provide you uh, ammunition against the adversary. It would give you a new way of thinking about temptation. And that, In fact, today would be a day that many of us would be spared from pain somewhere down the pathway of our life because we've heard this message and we've applied it into our lives with real deal faith. So would you bow your head together with me in all of our campuses as we pray together. Father, thank you. 
Thank you so much for the Word of God, and thank you for the instruction that you give us through your Word, and thank you that you've not left us without understanding about how we're to handle temptation. And Father, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray this very moment, this very weekend, that you'll take this message, and Lord, I pray it would become one of those hallmark messages in our life, that when we're going through the the times of testing, that we would find the exit door, that we would be aware of your exit strategy, and that we would not just know about it, we would use it. Build build these truths into our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit. We trust you and thank you for this in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me, and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.